Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. One thing, if you have not accepted that uh, the government, the so-called experts are in collusion with one another and they have been lying to us, uh, if you are not in that camp of understanding that that is the reality of our so-called experts and government agencies, uh, then unfortunately you're just simply not paying attention. Uh, if anything, uh, any positive that came out of COVID, and I don't know that there really was any, it was that it hopefully opened a lot of people's eyes to the lies, the deceit, and the censorship by our government. Uh, my guest today is Karen Kingston. Karen is a biotech analyst and a medical legal expert with tremendous, tremendous background. I'll have to let her give that background to you because it's uh, it's it's a lot. And she has been speaking out on the COVID vaccines and all that's been going on. And she's here to share uh, all that she knows with us. So Karen, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Jerry. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably give you a little bit about my background first. Yes, right? please do. Yeah, please do, because that is important. Yeah, so I have 25 years experience in the pharmaceutical, medical device, and biotechnology industries. Um, I was actually recruited right out of college, uh, you know, just having a bachelor's degree uh, by Pfizer and Eli Lilly. Uh, in the 90s, I was, it was an anomaly, actually. Um, uh, but I, I was volunteering. I always had a heart to help people and actually through medicine. So I, I volunteered in, in hospitals and AIDS clinics, um, you know, throughout college and, and then thereafter. And even while I was at Pfizer, I volunteered at AIDS clinics. Um, so I was recruited right out of school. I worked in Manhattan in sales. So I got to work with headquarters, um, you know, right there on 40. Um, the 42nd and 44th Street. But anyway, right there in, in New York City. But there's, there's 42nd and 44th Street. So, um, you know, I got quickly recruited over to the marketing side, actually working for their, their largest agency, um, which eventually became, it's pretty much Omnicom. I worked for the president of, the former president of Omnicom, who just recently resigned. So um, I started my own agency in 2007. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you work in this industry, what we do is we take the uh, complex scientific medical information. We take what... Uh, the clients file with the FDA. Um, we used to be able to use preclinical data, which is animal studies. Now you really are stuck to the phase three data. And then we would simplify it to educate doctors and do campaigns and then we'd simplify it again to educate their patients. And then we'd simplify it again to do the consumers. Um, and then also as an analyst, I do uh, portfolio analysis and whatnot. And um, I also had the honor, oh, I shouldn't say that now, um, you know, I, I worked in biotech uh, for Thermo Fisher for four or five years, um, doing a lot of their data analysis and stuff for them. And um, really, um, I, I guess I have a very unique background, but I, I, I want people to know, like, like this technology that they use, the COVID-19, the gene editing technology and stuff. So, you know, when I was at Thermo and when I would go to some of the uh, – biotech conferences, you know, they talk about using this technology to cure cancers, right? Or to, you know, cure very aggressive, different types of very aggressive autoimmune diseases. And, you know, they were doing all the studies in mice. So it seemed really benign, right? But I would literally sit in conferences and listen to them say, oh, we took the Ebola virus, we merged it with the herpetic virus, and we merged it with this other genetic material, and now it's aggressively killing the cancer in the mice, right? 
And they're like, we have to see how it's going to continue to mutate. So, I mean, for me, that sounded terrifying uh, because my ex-husband used to watch zombie movies. And like, you know, it's how every zombie movie starts, right? You, you, you genetically mutate things and try to find a cure for cancer. But, you know, it seemed, I think, in my now retroactively, like to me, it just it seemed like it was in good efforts. It seemed benign because everything, all these technologies were all just being used in animals allegedly to find cures for cancer, you know, or these aggressive diseases. And what happened was when the uh, authorization happened for these COVID-19 injections, you know, all the alarms went off because I know it takes uh, five to 10 years to bring a safe, quote unquote, vaccine to market. Mm -hmm. So I went and I just looked at their filings with the FDA and uh, Pfizer did not cover up um, mild to moderate disease, severe diseases, or death in their filings. They just, they, they acted as the independent review board and just said, you know, don't look over here, look over here. And, um, you know, the FDA doesn't necessarily even go through all these documents that are submitted. Uh, when you work on the agency and you represent a client, you have to go through those documents. Um, the FDA listens to the independent review board who highlights in a slide presentation the data that they want them to look at. So I was really horrified when I saw that data. And I was also perplexed as to what exactly these quote unquote vaccines were because um, they, they it, it appeared to be a gene editing technology based on what they submitted to the FDA. And that's why I looked at the patents. So I think people, if they, they know anything about me, that I did begin to read the patents and when I read the patents, my heart sunk because they did not read as therapies or biologics. They, they read as biological weapons. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my yeah, so, I hope that was No, that's great. I mean, I, I think it's, again, it's important to, to note that, you, that you're not just some Joe off the street. I mean, you have a background in this. This is what you do. Uh, you have a lot of uh, knowledge with, with some very, very large companies. And um, just, just so everyone can note, and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, if you're watching, uh, Karen's Karen has a great website. So there's a lot of information that we're going to talk about, and but there's a lot lot of information on her website, and I would recommend going there. It's KarenKingston.net, and uh, it's really a good website. I I've been looking at it for a while, and it's excellent. So I I want to kind of go go through the process, and and we'll talk about the vaccine. Because as you said, it should have been a huge red flag to a lot of people that know better. That's one of one of the things that I've had concerns about is is why didn't doctors who who routinely say, show me the data, show me the data. Oh, this is new. This is your claim. Show me the data. Show me the research. Show me, you know, show me everything before they'll recommend something and whether it's a procedure, it's a medicine, it's a surgery, whatever the case may be. And they seemingly, even them, not all, of course, seemingly just went along with it. How do you explain that? Um, part of it was the financial incentives. And I think that's what's happened, you know, when you're, when you're opening monologue is that there's too much the, the, the pharmaceutical companies are unable to give too much financial incentives to both government officials as well as um, influence the third party payers so like the Blue Cross Blue Shields and whatnot to then pay off these physicians. Right. So Blue Cross Blue Shield, like you typically the doctors get twenty dollars to give someone a vaccine, you know, maybe forty dollars, something like that. And then they get an incentive. There was like a new incentive that, OK, you get seventy five dollars for the COVID-19 shot. 
if 30% of your Blue Cross Blue Shield members were injected. But if you got that number up to 70%, and, and keep in mind that doctors are in practice together, right? So the whole practice for your whole, you know, all of your patients who have Blue Cross Blue Shield, if you get up to 70% of them injected with just one shot, they'll give you $500 per shot. So you're going to have peer pressure from your colleagues to give people the shots. And if you say you want to give informed consent or you're starting to notice risks, you know, I... I would not be surprised to find out if there were some doctors who were like, get out of my way. I'll go in and give your patient the shot, right? Because I don't want you to affect my bonus, right? So, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil, causing man to turn from his faith and pierce his heart with deep sorrow. So I think that's mm -hmm. part of it. it. It truly is an anomaly, though, because uh, launching new products myself, you know, having a history of doing this, taking them you know, once the phase three trials are done and launching it is we have early adopters, which are maximum 10% of the physicians that would be using this product. And so they use it in the first year, it's maximum 10%. And most doctors wait five years till it's been on the market to start using a product. So um, I think some of the other stuff that happened is what we would do to also get the early adopters on board is you're not allowed to talk to doctors about a product until it is locked and loaded, FDA approved, ready to go. So to get the early, you know, early adopters on board, we would do something called quote unquote market research, right? So you you and you pay them, you pay them to sit in a room allegedly to get their uh, opinions, but we're really paying them to give them information about our product and influence them so that they will be on board, gun ho, ready to start using the product because then they influence other doctors in their in their industry. And what what happened is. Uh, it appears like this, the government ended up doing that, that they were sending out under EUA authorization, Pfizer's not allowed to do promotion legally. Um, I mean, they, they, they ended up getting FDA approval, and I don't, I don't want to have a whole legal discussion about that. But it seems that they were sending the doctors talking points about what to say about the shots and not the shots. And, and then they were also sending them like what the reimbursement was going to be. So in pharma, we were not allowed to do that. We couldn't we couldn't tell the doctors how much money they would make by you know prescribing our product or injecting the product or whatever. Like that that had to be a separate information that they had. So I think that's a big part of it. And I think I think that um, it's almost with like the it's almost like a group uh, group sales team methodology that they use too to say. Um, and that's what we did. You know, at Pfizer, you had districts and you were on teams with one another. So if someone was slacking behind, it was kind of like the military. You know, you ordered a code red on them. You gave them heat to get them up to you so that your whole district would, would, would uh, right. do well. So, yeah, a very bizarre, um, very unethical mm -hmm. tactics to use when, you're, um, when your oath is to do yeah. no harm. So th there's no question that the pharmaceutical companies, they they there's laws, there's guidelines for them to operate. Um, and mm -hmm. if they overstep that, if they break the law, violate uh, regulation, and that's, this is the case of any industry, you have government agencies, government law enforcement that enforces these things. I mean, that's just the normal way it is. Uh, it's not to say that I don't blame Pfizer because I definitely do in so many ways or any of the medical companies, they're going to try to push out a product. They're going to try to sell it for the most they can and, and, you know, push the boundaries as best they can. It's then up to the regulators, the FDA and the like to hold them in check 
right? That's why the FDA exists. They're there. They're the sort of consumer protection, so to speak. And in this case, it seems as though the FDA took an active role in even denying, and not just the FDA, the NIH, every you know, all groups, and pushed aside any discussion and even censored, and you know a little bit about censorship, any kind of talk about other therapeutics, i.e. hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, other, other, you know, other things that were being used to treat COVID, pushed that aside and pushed an unknown vaccine. So, mm-hmm. so how complicit are, is the FDA and the other medical agencies? Well, they, they are compl- complicit. I mean, it was, it was worse than push it aside. They made a mockery of, of proven therapeutics. So in the industry, um, yes, you know, as Fauci, you know, professed, you know, that he would never recommend a product unless it went through a two-year placebo-controlled clinical trial, right? And that's why he didn't recommend ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And, you know, obviously he was lying because then he recommended these, these injections, which never went through a two-year placebo-controlled mm-hmm. trial. But there is a thing called real-world evidence, RWE, right? So ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine specifically has been around for more than 50 years or 80 years. Like that. It's the most prescribed product, mm-hmm. you know? It's, it's a safe – they pop it in uh, India, you know, pop it by taking it. Like the same way, you know, people eat Skittles or drink Coca-Cola in the United States, right? So it's extremely, extremely safe. So the fact that they mocked it and put it to, to you know, to the side to – uh, enable the the uh, rushing in of these experimental um, mod uh, genetic editing nanoparticle technology injections is um, uh, it, they're complicit in it. So that that's absolutely that's absolutely true. And then with the FDA again, what I think people don't understand is Pfizer was designated as the independent review board, the IRB. And the IRB in my industry, it's typically you know they're the ones that guide the FDA through their evidence and research, right? I have a nickname as the cleaner in the industry. Like if, if I'm brought onto a brand and there's a bigger competitive brand and they're giving us um, trouble, like, you know, um, people tattletale on each other and stuff. I would go into their phase three trials and I, I can tell you, Jerry, I found many times where the FDA just overlooked certain side effects, right? So, I mean, uh, there's one product, and I don't want to mention it, but they were giving a product I was working on a hard time because we had a cardiovascular warning. So what did I do? I go into their FDA filing, and I find they had cardiovascular events that they told the FDA not to just to just to not talk about. So then they had to do the same warning, right? So right. the reason why I'm saying this is now I work on the agency side. I'm not an independent. I do marketing and messaging. My point is the IRB, which was Pfizer, it was unethical to make them that, they t- instructed the FDA to disregard all, all the safety signals. So it was, but I, I believe the FDA was unethical. If you read the authorization, uh, one of the FDA panel members said uh, they were very concerned about using this in younger people. There was only 77 um, subjects that Pfizer asked the FDA to look at that were between the ages of 16 and 17. Um, and there was only one case of COVID in the placebo group. Now in the treated group, there was one teenager that fell over and broke their face, right? Also, so that was in the 16 to 17 year Also in that same submission, it states that there's 100 children between 12 and 15 where the risk-benefit ratio was not favorable. That means it was harmful to children between the ages of 12 to 15. Pfizer said, 
do not disclose this information to the public at this time. They wanted time to go back and figure out how to recalculate the numbers to make it look favorable. That's criminal. Under FDA 312.42, you must stop a trial if the uh, risks outweigh the benefit. Pfizer put in writing that they did. Again, I read that whole document. The FDA panel didn't read that whole document. They looked at whatever Pfizer told them to look at. But you can read in, the, in their comments some of the things that they said was concerns. And they did mention concerns about children. They also said uh, they were concerned about shedding. They said, we don't know if, how this is going to affect others once you're injected. You know, and they called it viral shedding. You know, we know it's, so um, it looks like, um, to me, when I read the documents, it looks, it looks like the FDA was initially strong-armed into this. For sure. You know? um, yeah. It, yeah. It's so many people yeah. were, and that's that's where it's very concerning. I mean, I, I'm to the point now that if a so-called government expert says anything, I just believe the opposite, and I'm probably very safe in doing that, right? I mean, it, whether it's the economy, yeah. whether it's any, I, I, I just don't believe anything uh, at, at all. So w- was there any motivation to this other than money? Well, again, for, as I like, put with my med legal hat on and I'm having worked for Pfizer myself. And, um, you know, when I was there employed by them, Bill Steer was the CEO. Uh, and he was very clear. The company is motivated to make money. There was no gray area. Right. It's just that's that 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 was it. And, and he you know, also articulated like we, you know, because I have this this heart for people. And I was like. Why aren't they doing more to help children and rare pediatric diseases and stuff? And they're like, we don't do orphan diseases. If we can't make a billion dollars or more, and this is in the 90s, like, we're not going to invest any money in it. Like, they were very clear about that, you know. And, and, and that's like, you know, their acquisition strategy when they acquired Warner Lambert, um, American Home Products, which is for Lipitor, for cholesterol. American Home Products actually made a, um, a, a pitch or whatever, a bid. To, to, to purchase them. And then we overbidded them to get, to get Lipitor because we knew that, or, you know, Bill Steer knew it was going to be over $10 billion. Right. And when he was asked, what's the difference between an acquisition and a hostile takeover, he said $2 a share. Right. So they, it's all about the money with Pfizer. It really is. So why would they take the risk with these mod RNA in, in nanoparticle injections? Well, if you read their contract, it, you, they, it was an offer they couldn't refuse. So, it says that once they make their first um, product, uh, they own all the intellectual property. So we know that there's a history. You know, I've read through the patents with the NIH developing some of this technology, some of it being funded through uh, the DARPA, you know, research as well. Um, but according to the DOD contract, they own the technology, right? So if there was any ownership, that was forfeited. Uh, the other thing it says is, though, you know, um, you're going to do all the manufacturing. So they forfeited their marching rights, the government did. It says, though, you are going to comply to the FDA laws for a safe and effective vaccine to prevent SARS-CoV-2 and infection from the variants. It's written in there several times. And it says you're going to comply to good manufacturing practices. So even though under emergency use authorization, technically Pfizer didn't have to prove all this stuff. They forfeited their immunity. That's why the that's why the judge in Brooke Jackson case ruled on the case and why it's going to appeal now too. So you go, well, why would they take that risk? It's like, well, they just inherited this intellectual property, and the government says you can make it a trade secret. 
So if Moderna tries suing them, which they're trying to do, and they're saying you stole our intellectual property, Pfizer's like, no, we didn't. We have our own. And by the way, it's a trade secret. So I don't have to tell you about it. Like, so it's an, it's an insane proposal. And then on top of that, in October 2020, the FDA met with the manufacturers, including Pfizer's. This is before, two months before the authorization happened. They said they knew it was going to cause myocarditis and all these other diseases, neurological diseases, right? Well, okay, it causes this type of amyloid protein, wild-type myocarditis, a very strange, normal, rare autoimmune disease. Pfizer happens to have a product called Vindicil. It's $200,000 of treatment. They have the only product in the market, and they have intellectual property protection for a decade. So they knew it was going to cause disease, right? And they have products now to treat it. They have a product to treat the deterioration of the nerve cells. It's called demyelinating diseases. Well, that's listed. They knew that was going to happen on October 22nd. So now they've got a product for it. They've got a product called Mephembry to treat women who have heavy and irregular menstrual bleeding. We know the shots cause that and we know you should cause it through shedding. So things that were formerly rare, you know, 0.1% or 0.0 or fraction percent of the, of the population. Well, now they've got, you know, in the single digits to double digit percentages of a market. So they created a market for themselves and they knew people were going to die as well because some people, they're going to cause disease, disabilities, and some people will die. They don't care. Mm -hmm. they, they, so I think that, you know, from a, a legal perspective, you know, if you're an organ of court, court of law, evil isn't a evil because they're evil is not a, is not a reason. But the financial motivation, and you can see it in their uh, investor presentations, is glaring. So... The other thing, I mean, there is, you know, there is evil in the world. We know, you know the World Economic Forum talks about um, what useful eaters use or useless eaters or something. I don't, you know, so I think um, there's people there that are just dark. And, um, you know, I think Carl Jung said, you know, if you don't acknowledge there's evil in the world, you'll be annihilated to the exact level of that naivete. Yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, very well said. So I want to go uh, two two more areas in uh, before we finish. And the first is the you had mentioned myocarditis, and and essentially they knew in the trials, you know, in, that there were there were likely to cause were going to cause problems. Um, in in any medicine that's out there, even the most widely used, even you know. Uh, uh, Anything that's out there, any anything that's even viewed as safe, there are side effects. There are always going to be. Even Tylenol has potential side effects, right? So fine, we're we're, we're understanding, but there's a threshold, right? Where where if the side effects of the adverse reactions to any kind of medicine or drug, the drug is pulled. We have a history of that. We know that. So can you speak to what the appropriate or acceptable adverse reactions are to medicines and what those adverse effects were with the vaccines? That's a, that's a great question. So if you look at Pfizer's initial new drug application, I haven't done this analysis, someone else can. They actually have, um, they have the cutoff points. So if there are a certain number of what you're now calling serious adverse events, I call them harmful clinical outcomes. Um, and I don't know what those numbers are in the trial, um, and I don't want to guess at it, but they were very low. Like they were very low, it was less than 20, um, you know, or deaths. Then they were to terminate the trial. So they actually put it in their initial new drug application. Um, to put it in context, there was a vaccine for RSV in 1996, and um, 
out of 10,000 um, children that were vaccinated, 25, I believe the number was, came down with the um, infection. Some became severely ill and some died. Not all died. That's 0.005%. And they shut it down and recalled the product. Uh, in Pfizer's clinical trials, um, before they injected the placebo group, of those people that got the injection, so it's about 18,000, 19 died. Now, the title of Pfizer's trial is, you know, COVID-19 mod RNA injections in healthy individuals. These people were healthy. That's a 0.1% death rate. That's the average death rate for the United States around that. Except you have to keep in mind, most people who die are over the age of 80. The majority are over the age of 80. The majority have, you know, three or more or four or more comorbidities. Um, so the 0.1% death rate is, I mean, that, that should have stopped it right there. The problem was on October 22nd, 2020, before they authorized this to be used on the whole population, was they listed out, um, you know, harmful clinical outcomes across every major system in the body. So they central nervous system disorders, cardiovascular disorders, blood clotting, hematological disorders, kidney disorders, vaccine-associated enhanced disease. They list death. They list um, uh, pregnancy outcomes, harmful pregnancy outcomes. Uh, they know in the trial that they, this could have caused issues with um, infertility both for both men and women. So what's alarming is, isn't that like, okay, um, here we were, this wasn't expected. We had a product, a cardiovascular agent, and it actually caused a cardiovascular side effect. What's bizarre is that this affects all of the systems. And what's most alarming is that it affects the central ner nervous system, that they talk about myelitis and encephalitis, swelling and inflammation of the brain. It is very difficult for anything to cross the blood-brain barrier and cause swelling of the brain. So what was in these injections that caused it? That alone, they should have been like, shut this down. We're treating a respiratory virus and we know it's gonna cause central nervous system disorders. And then, so that, they said, we know this is gonna happen. So June, 2022, Pfizer has an internal record of the adverse events that they're recording, both from the CDC's VAERS database. But uh, again, I worked at Pfizer. Keep in mind, when some people get really sick from taking a product or a drug or they're freaked out. They call the company um, and they tell them what the adverse event is. I was there during Viagra. I don't want to say, I mean, we got so many calls about, you know, different, uh, different issues. So they call and they kept a track record of this. So what did Pfizer find out? 700,000 neurological disorders they recorded. 700,000, um, I think there's like 500,000 cardiovascular disorders, or maybe it's 180,000 cardiovascular disorders. Um, they had 25,000 incidences of herpetic infections, right? Um, overall, they reported 5 million adverse events across 1.5 million people. So everyone that they, whether they called in or out from VAERS, for every individual, they had three or four different serious harmful outcomes also across multiple systems, right? Mm -hmm. These these are these, and, and now they've also come out and they said it doesn't prevent infection. It doesn't protect against disease or hospitalization. The Cleveland Clinic and Pfizer's own document from September of 2021 says the more shots you take, the more likely you are to get the infection. That's what the Cleveland Clinic study. So it causes infection. And it wasn't done under bona fide research. So that means that it was deceptive in nature. People weren't given informed consent and they knew it was mm -hmm. harmful. By definition, under 18 U.S.C., that's literally, Jerry, the definition of a bioweapon. 
It's any uh, biological agent or delivery device that doesn't prevent infection, doesn't protect against disease, is not done under bona fide research, and has no peaceful use. Peaceful use means it's harmful. It's a weapon. So I've been saying that for about two years now, and in Florida, we're getting a lot of momentum around it. We've got eight counties passed, uh, banned the jab, and they are calling these biological and technological weapons. And eight counties, eight, I'm sorry, I misspelled that because I'm a little bit tired. Eight of the GOP committees, so the Republican committees in eight counties have passed um, a statement, basically a resolution stating that they, they um, the evidence is clear that these are not vaccines. They don't meet any of the criteria, but they actually meet the criteria of a, a biological weapon under Florida state law, 790.166. And the GOPs are asking for, and eight counties are asking for these to be banned. Yep. It, it's, it, it's really mind boggling. And what's, what's adds insult to injury with all the lies that people have been told is that when you, people like you, people like me, I can't even post this interview that we're having right now on YouTube because I have been, every time I discuss the vaccine or COVID or anything, they, they take me down for that. So the censorship is insane. You know that. Um, I know that. And so the people that have been lying to us censor people like us, people like you, you know, what, what is our recourse? I know you're doing a lot of stuff legally and, and people can go to your website and offer help and support, uh, because we've been lied to and there's continuing cover up. So let's finish up with that. Is that how, you know, how can people help you? Well, go, go to Karen Kingston.substack. So, um, not it's, it's my Substack is Karen Kingston and, um, there's a letter there. Um, that uh, I, I wrote up. It's got 82 references. They're all government references, FDA uh, documents from the NIH, uh, PubMed. Uh, and it's a demand to your sheriffs, like bring down victims. Um, and it walks through all the criteria for them to remove these harmful uh, injections that um, it, it's done through the state of Florida that meet the definition of the state of Florida uh, to remove them from the communities of the counties that they're responsible for protecting those adults and children. So I think that's important. Now, Jerry, I want to say the positive thing is, again, um, Joe Sansoni is in Lee County. He was the first person to do, he drafted up the ban, the jab. And, and I would talk to him with friends, um, like a lot of things that are stated in there is some of the work, you know, that, I, that I've been working on, including citing these laws, but he led this in Lee County and he, and he was, um, silenced by the media, right? It was, he was blacklisted, but now this is the eighth County in Florida and the, the local media covered it. So they actually got cover on normal, um, local stations. So that's a huge win. And I want people to know too, in the state of Idaho, there's seven counties in the entire state. Every GOP committee in Erie County passed this ban the jab asking for the bioweapons to be uh, removed. So people are using that term. It's gotten in some local media. So the best thing you can do is speak the truth. Um, just con- and be comfortable with it. Be confident in it. Again, go to karenkingston.substack um, um, there's something there called $3 trillion substack. I explain how Pfizer has no immunity. It's free. That's, that's a, that's a substack. That's free. Uh, there's a letter to the, sh- there's a, just a letter to the sheriffs there that says like they're, um, brave and honorable sheriffs. That's also free. So there's, there's some free information there. So you can just be confident when you're talking to people that these are harmful and they never had any benefit by definition. That's a, that's a, that is a weapon. They never had any benefit. 
So a car is ben beneficial, but if you use it to run people over, that's a weapon, but at least it has some benefit. These have no benefit whatsoever. They don't meet any, any uh, definition for therapeutic um, or a gene therapy or a vaccine, you know, or a medical yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that you know, people, everyone out there knows multiple people who got vaccinated boosters, but they still got COVID, you know, and I, and I, and then I say, well, then it's not a vaccine. So it, it's really amazing what uh, the lies and, and well, that, go ahead. You bring up a good point. So if someone got COVID, especially if they got severe COVID and hospitalized, I say, Go get my letter off the off my Substack. Go down to your sheriff's office and say, "I want to file a complaint for it's you know because you were diseased, attempted battery assault with a weapon, mm -hmm. right? You should you if you got the shot and got COVID in my letter, I'll explain. It says I have the database of 5.6 million seniors over the age of 65 through our U.S. government. 71 percent of them came down with COVID after getting injected. 60 percent were hospitalized uh, uh, that were hospitalized, you know. In the Pfizer study, 409 people came down with severe COVID. We don't know if they were hospitalized or died within one week of the shot. 1,600 people came down with COVID within two months of getting the shot in the trial. And, and Pfizer just told the FDA, don't count that data. Only count these nine people that, that had a PCR test. So that's all laid out in that letter. You know, so anyone that had, you know, any illness of significance, you know, especially too, if you had a heart inflammation, they know it causes heart inflammation. They don't even deny it. There's direct causation. If you read the FDA's approval, it says known risks, myocarditis and pericarditis. So they know it causes it. That's not correlation. That's mm -hmm. causation. Um, and there's and I have a number of studies in there. So mm -hmm. I think people just need to be confident about what the truth is and, and, and speak up about it. And one of the things that people find most disturbing is Pfizer put in writing to the FDA when they got approval that the lots that they put out there varied in formulation. They confessed that the lots were different. So, and now we're seeing some lots have this huge serious adverse event and or clinical outcome and death rate. Well, that's to me, that's like Tylenol in 1982. Not every Tylenol bottle was toxic. Just some of them had cyanide in it. Pfizer told the FDA, some of these are more toxic than others. Apparently some are so toxic, they're actually lethal. It's the sheriff's responsibility to pull those vials. That's what happened in 1992. The deputy chief, a mother said, you got to get these uh, Tylenol balls off the shelves. He said, I can't do that. She said, oh, yes, you can. The same way if there was a bomb in my child's building, you'd go remove the threat. So people need to speak up and, and boldly and, and consistently and relentlessly, you know, and not listen to people who are not on the same page with them. Try to convert them as much as you can, as kindly as you can. But, you know, get a team of warriors to go in and, and start going to talking to your commissioners, go speak to your uh, committee members and go to your schools and go to your sheriffs and tell them, get these removed and bring victims who are harmed and file complaints for attempted battery assault and murder. Every state has a law for these bioweapons. Yeah. Against them. Yeah, this is it is so concerning. So, yes, please go to KarenKingston.net and KarenKingston uh, slash uh a sub stack as well for all the great information that, that she had mentioned. Uh, I, I want to get into a business where I can lie, commit fraud and put forward fake products and get rich. So it seems like the pharmaceutical companies have found that, that business model. Well, just make, make up a product. Uh, maybe I'll make up a product that says, uh, cures cancer and it doesn't, and I'll just make billions. And it seems like that's what they do. But, 
Karen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your wealth of information. I know we we just you know hit the the tip of the iceberg and all the knowledge and uh, information you have. So please please go connect with Karen and uh, support her, help her um, in this de- uh, endeavor here. So uh, Karen Kingston, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. God bless. Yes, you too. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Feed Ace Podcast. Please check out all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on YouTube. Well, this episode won't be on YouTube, but on Rumble on, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on WriteAmericaMedia.com and on WHKRadio slash podcast.com as well. So thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time. Gonna learn to take everything and see it through. Well, I know what I'm saying, and I know it'll be alright. Well, I know what I'm saying when the world's so calm and right. So save your breath. So what's wrong, my tongue?